46. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus finishes up his sermon and he says this. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Or, or the term could be translated master, master. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do my words is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. We're going to pray, ask the Lord for help in understanding a few of these things, and jump right into uh, our time together. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we trust even this morning, uh, even as Psalm 19 would say, that your, your word revives our hearts. Uh, so even this morning, God, we, we pray that uh, something of your renewing power would be at work as we gather around your word and consider uh, a few of these verses so, Spirit of God, we invite you even now to enable this time. We pray that you would just kind of uh, lay heavy upon uh, folks as they're sitting in their living rooms or wherever they might be listening in. I pray that your word would um, go forward in power, that you would accomplish the things that your word has been set forth to do in our hearts and lives. And above all, Holy Spirit, we know that you love to um, exalt Jesus you love to show us who he truly is. There's too many versions of Jesus out in our culture today. So Holy Spirit, give us clarity to see Jesus, to see who he really is for us. Not as just some kind of strange religious figure, but as someone who is completely relevant for our lives and for our every need. So Holy Spirit, we ask you just to come and show us Jesus this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to give you a few thoughts before jumping right into things this morning. First and foremost is this. It's important in a series on addiction uh, that we don't make the mistake of thinking that this series is only for a certain type of people. Uh, remember, the Bible doesn't make the same kind of distinctions that perhaps our culture uh, would make. In fact, Jesus will say, in John chapter 8, verse 34, that everyone who sins is a slave. Literally, the word is an addict, is an addict to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So what Jesus is saying is pretty much we all struggle with the same issues. We all struggle with the same problems. Now, some of our problems carry greater consequences than, than other problems and situations. But nonetheless, we all have the same heart problem. We all suffer from the same things. We, we all are in this category of being those who are slaves to sin. It's, what the, it's how the Bible uh, would put uh, this forward for us. We're all addicts in some shape or form. It's not a unique 
problem, but a common problem that we all kind of carry. It's the very condition of a broken humanity. Now, a few weeks ago, we sought to understand what the Bible says about addiction, and we defined addiction, just by way of review, as a sin pattern. Now, I know, once again, that's a tough, tough one to take, but I'd, I'd refer you back to a few weeks ago. It's a sin pattern that seems to have power over us such that we cannot stop doing it. A more simple definition is perhaps this, is addiction is a self-selected bondage. And we saw then a few weeks ago that the problem of addiction is a problem of the heart. The problem is not out there. It's not because of what others have done. It's not because of the situations and circumstances that we face. The problem of addiction is a problem of the heart. And the problem of the heart, if you remember, is a problem of worship. And and there is one then who can overhaul the heart, namely Jesus, And as then we've worshipped our way into our addiction, Jesus says, worship your way out. Come and behold me. Come and consider me. Now, this morning, that's review. This morning then, I just want to help you diagnose your heart a little bit more. To go a little bit deeper into seeing kind of the dynamics of how our hearts actually function. And and it's as if in this uh, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus takes us a little bit deeper into the human condition. He's showing us ourselves. And so let's, let's consider what Jesus has to say. Jesus begins in verse 46 by saying this, you call me Lord, Lord. <laughs> he said, he's saying, you call me master, but you don't do what I say. Uh, In other words, Jesus says the issue at hand for our hearts is lordship. He's raising the question of what truly masters your life. That term Lord, again, can be translated master. It could refer to the idea of a teacher. It was the individual that one would submit his life to, follow after, uh, it, it was, in a real sense, a master, one who you would submit yourself to. Now, it's important to see what Jesus is getting at here. Similar to some of the content that we went over a few weeks ago, Jesus is saying that we will inevitably be mastered by something. You remember the old uh, Bob Dylan song? Bob Dylan wrote this. He says, you might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. You may call yourself doctor or they may call you chief, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody somebody. Jesus is saying this is the real condition of our hearts. We are wired to serve something. We are wired to be mastered by something. Remember the text that we went over a few weeks ago. It was Romans chapter 1 verse 25. The apostle Paul says that man exchanged the truth about God for a lie and here's the language. He worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator. 
In other words, we are wired to serve something. We are wired to be mastered by something. We are wired, as we'll see as Jesus illustrates, to build our lives upon something or build our lives into something. We were made to have something fulfill our hearts with the meaning and worth and the security that we so desperately need. We are wired to fulfill our hearts and lives with something. We're wired to serve something, to build our lives upon something. And so the metaphor that Jesus uses in this particular uh, text is that of building, building a house. And the houses, of course, represent one's life. And inevitably, the house of one's life must be built upon something, right? It must serve something. It must be grounded in something. It must find its foundation in something. You don't see foundationless houses. That's Jesus' point in saying, you got to serve somebody. And the question is, again, that he's getting at is what truly masters your life? What truly are you building your life upon? What truly are you seeking meaning and worth and security in? This is what Jesus said. What truly is mastering your life? Who really are you serving? Now, to get more practical, I want to propose that our hearts are, are mastered in layers. That our hearts are mastered in in layers. For instance, the core of our hearts, at the very core of our hearts, we have these particular needs for meaning, worth, and security. Our hearts are always going after, trying to figure out why I am here. What's the meaning of life? You look at most of the uh, movies in our culture, they're getting at some of these basic themes, these these heart needs that we all carry, trying to figure out what really is the meaning of life. It's also then that our hearts desire worth. Where, Where does my significance and my sense of value come from? You know, you jump into any secular counseling situation, and inevitably along the line, you're going to hear something about self-esteem, self-worth. We're all searching for this idea of worth. And security, well, that's a common issue that plagues our heart during a season like this. Man, where we can just kind of get carried away by all the what-ifs during this corona season. We, We are a people who, who, who strive for something of security. These are the needs of our hearts. Meaning, worth, and security. But once again, what, what I want to propose to you is that we try to satisfy these particular needs in layers. In layers. What do I mean by, by this? Well, um, inwardly, we try to fulfill these needs with a few different things. For instance, we will seek power. Power is going to satisfy my sense of meaning, worth, and security in this life. I need to be powerful so that I can be significant in this life, so that I can feel secure in this life, so that I can have some sort of sense of meaning. So inwardly, I think power will solve my inner problem, but that desire for power has to take on actually outward decisions and outward actions. 
This is what I mean by we are mastered in layers. We desire power. That's the inner desire that would meet these needs. But we have to put our, our feet to work. We have to put our hands to work. There are things then out there that we think are going to make us powerful and therefore satisfy the needs of our hearts. And so when you think of desiring power to meet these particular needs. Well, some people will go after careers. It's the big career that I got to go pursue so I can feel powerful. I got to get up the political ladder in order that I might find something of meaning so that I might be of worth, that I can be secure in the salary that I'm gaining. Sometimes it's the big career. Sometimes it's just material stuff. If I just have enough stuff, if I had the big bank account and I have the nice clothes and I have the cool car, well then, okay, that, now I'm going to be of worth. Others will perceive me as not being something small, but I will be great because I'll have stuff. Material is the stuff that's going to make me meaningful and make me of worth and provide me some sense of security in this life. Sometimes it's the the career, sometimes it's material stuff. Sometimes it's, it's like athletics. I got, it's the achiever in us. We got to achieve big things in order to be meaningful, to be of worth, to have some sort of sense of security. You, you see it again and again, specifically in professional sports, where as soon as the, the body fails, as soon as age catch, catches up to this individual, now, now where's the worth? Now where's the significance? Many fall into depression as soon as they, they actually lose all the things that they've attained. Oftentimes we'll pursue careers, material stuff, athletics. You know what else we, we pursue? Religious performance. I remember talking to one of my, my friends who is a Christian counselor. And he said, he said at one point he was inundated with so many believers who had come into his office and, and it was all about seeking to find meaning, worth, and security in the things that they religiously did. And he was always trying to reorient them and help them out. The fact of the matter is it, it's a pursuit of power. If I accomplish great things, if I do a bunch of things, if I can attain a bunch of things, well, now that's going to provide something of meaning, worth, and security in my life. Sometimes we'll pursue power. If power doesn't work, oftentimes we'll pursue love. Oftentimes when it comes to love, we have this inner desire. We, we, we think love is going to satisfy our meaning, worth, and security in this life. And so what do we do? Well, it's about relationships. And now I have to have a relationship in order to have some sort of meaning and worth, some sort of sense of affirmation, some sort of sense of belonging. i got to have community. If it's not a relationship, I actually have to be then part of some sort of community that accepts me. When you, when you look at our culture, people are craving community. Whether it's for good reasons or not so good reasons. They're craving community. Why? Because they want to feel love. They want to feel that they're actually meaningful and of worth and find some sort of sense of security with, with others. Now, um, you know, one of the examples that just comes to mind, uh, just because I've, I, I watched a recent documentary on it, is CrossFit. Just take Take, take the community of CrossFit. Well, why is that such a big thing in our age? Well, on one hand, 
It trains you how to be powerful. It's, it, it strikes at the achiever in you. And it makes you think, wow, I, I can accomplish something in my strength. Well, that's going to give me some sort of sense of meaning and worth and security in this life. I'm strong. But what it also does is it gives you a community. People who accept you. People who will come along and help you. That gives you just another layer of meaning and worth and security in this life. Folks, again and again, what we do is we run to these inner desires. We think that power and love is going to satisfy our internal needs, but those inner, inner needs have to take on outward practice. We actually make decisions in order to seek to fulfill these particular needs. Now, the final one, if you can see it, is comfort. Right? So when it comes to comfort... You know, this is the idea that, you know, you hear a lot of just living for the weekend. I got to get through the grind of life, put in my 40 plus hours in order to get to, to the weekend. It's, it's all about attempting to kind of set up my heaven here on earth. You know, it's not so much about comparing myself to others in order to find meaning and worth. It's just that I want rest from the struggles of attempting to live up to something. I want comfort, and therefore, all right, I'll put my 40 uh, hours in in order to get to the weekend so I can just chill, so I can just rest, so I can have heaven on earth. And if it's not for the weekend, well, then it's for the summer, and I gotta get a, have a getaway, and we have to have this vacation that's gonna meet all the needs of the struggles of my heart that I've gone through throughout the year, and now I need this time away. I need this rest. I need this, this comfort. And if it's not then vacations, it's retirement's going to be the thing that really is my, my savior. That's going to be the thing that truly brings meaning and worth and security. I'll finally be at rest. I'll finally have the things I need, can sit back and just in some sense be at peace. On one hand, it's power, we think, will satisfy our heart's desires. Sometimes it's love that we think will satisfy our heart's desires. Sometimes it's comfort. If I can just have comfort. And by the way, folks, the Bible will illustrate these three um, desires in some pretty powerful ways. Think about when it comes to power. Who comes to mind but Zacchaeus? If there's one person in the Bible who has this like Napoleon complex, right? It's little Zacchaeus. But you think about Zacchaeus. What does he do? He has this desire for power and and therefore, he betrays his own people in order to become a tax collector so he could exercise power over his people. It's a way in which he sought power in order to bring meaning, worth, and security to his life. The little man becomes the powerful man and, and abuses and hurts his own people. You think about love. Well, you go to John chapter 4. There's the woman at the well. And what was her struggle? She had five husbands. The husband never satisfied, and it would be relationship after relationship after relationship. Oh, it's that love that she thought would be her true meaning and worth and security in this life. Or you think about comfort, right? Jesus uses the illustration of that rich man who says, I'm going to build big barns and I'm going to save up all my stuff so that I can retire, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus says, you're a fool because today your soul has been required of you. So once again, Throughout scripture, you have it illustrated again and again and again that we seek power, love, and comfort to fulfill our heart's desires. 
And what Jesus is saying is, again and again, we are building our lives on some, we're seeking after something that we think will satisfy these deep heart desires. Jesus then is, 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 is calling us to really diagnose our own hearts. When it comes down to it, what are you really seeking after? What's your life really proving? He says, you know, on one hand, you're saying, Lord, Lord, but your life is proving another thing. And so for us, it's, it's, it's the diagnosis time. It's to say, okay, what truly is mastering my heart? What truly am I seeking after? Is it the achievements? Is it the status? Is it the stuff that I think is going to satisfy me? Give me what I need. Or is it love? I got to have that relationship. I got to have that affirmation. I got to have that belonging or, or I'm worthless. Or is it comfort? I don't care about comparing myself to others. I don't care about being at the top of uh, the, the king of the hill kind of a thing. No, I just, I just want ease. I just want comfort. I just want to feel at peace. What are you pursuing? What, what are, what's fulfilling the dashes underneath, right? What, what's the actual stuff that you're going after in order to tame these things, hoping that it's going to satisfy these deep heart needs? Jesus says, you call me master, but you don't do what I tell you. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, like, look at your life. What's your life truly saying about what you serve? What masters you? What do you believe will truly satisfy your deepest heart needs? Now, what Jesus does next is awesome. I love this part, right? What Jesus does next is he puts those masters to the test. He puts, if you would take the illustration that he's giving, he, he's putting those foundation blocks to the test. If we think that, you know, pursuing all these things are going to really give us uh, something of stability in life, well, Jesus says, all right, let's see how that actually goes. Let, let, let's test the foundation blocks of your life. Let's see if these things truly satisfy your heart and can provide the stability that you need. Jesus then raises the issue in this, in this little story or metaphor. He says, suddenly the storms of life come upon these homes, right? And the storms of life, they come, and the house built upon sand in verse 49, it says this, immediately this house fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Here's the point. Can these careers and possessions, can, can achievement and performance, can relationships and, let's say, family and community, can, can when it comes down to it, the vacations and the rest, can they truly live up to what your heart so desperately needs? When it comes down to it, can they really give you the stability in life that you, that you need? What Jesus is saying is absolutely not. Careers can be lost in a moment. Possessions will inevitably wear out and get old. Achievements and performance are, are never sustained. Someone's always going to dethrone you. Family and relationships oftentimes fall apart, oftentimes disappoint, or those relationships, as we know, can be suddenly lost through death. Ease and comfort 
can never tend to give me the deep rest that my heart yearns for. I mean, don't we all know it? You come back from vacation needing a vacation, right? It's the way our hearts wired, that the things of this life never seem to truly satisfy. They never can, can actually stand up against the storms of life. So the question is, well, you know, if you've, if you've placed your sense of meaning and worth in a career, and yet the storm of life comes and your career is gone, well, now, wh- where's your worth and security now? It's gone. You have to start all over again. When it comes to family and family rejects you, right? The storm of life, of disappointment hits your life, and you're rejected from that community for some uh, reason. Well, where's your meaning and worth and security now? Right? All things in this life will fail to actually stand up underneath the storms of life. And folks, even when it comes to the greatest storm of life, right? Death itself. There's no guarantee there. You pursue comfort. You pursue retirement. And, and, and Jesus says to the rich man, you're a fool. Because today, now your soul is required of you. Can any of these things truly stand up against the storms of life? Jesus is saying absolutely not. It's just sand. It's just dust in the wind. There are things that can never truly satisfy your heart. They won't satisfy. They won't satisfy. They'll give you a bit of payoff in the here and now. Oh, the vacation will be somewhat nice. Oh, the relationship, okay. Yeah, it'll kind of tickle your emotions for a while. Oh, the career will make you seemingly powerful for a moment, but when the storms of life come, the foundation of those things will be proven to be what they truly are, sand. And man, we try to hold on to these things for white-knuckle them for dear life, but it, it is like trying to hold on to sand. A fistful of sand just kind of drains from your hand. You can never truly gain from these things what you're hoping to gain, no matter how hard you hold on. The storms of life come. So, Jesus is putting the masters to the test. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper here. What happens when the storms of life come and they threaten these masters? Well, on one hand, we react with all kinds of anger and anxiety. Much of the violence that happens in our world happens because we feel like something of our meaning and worth and security in this life is being threatened. So how do we react? Well, now we have to control things. Now we have to dominate. Now we have to put someone else down. Folks, when it comes down to it, so much of the violence of this world is tied in to this very dynamic. On one hand, it's going to be anger, it's going to be bitterness, it's going to be violence. Sometimes it's going to be anxiety, you're going to be paralyzed, you're going to be depressed. It's a whole world of, of emotional uh, chaos can begin when your masters are threatened by the storms of life. Now, on one hand, that's one way that we respond when these things are threatened by the storms of life. But... What we also do is like move on to the next master. 
oh, well, that master didn't kind of fulfill my heart's longing. You know, the career didn't work out, so I'm just going to shift my focus, and I'm going to go after something else, and that's going to satisfy me. It's almost as if a spiral effect begins in our lives, right? Th- think about the dad, for instance, who, you know, he, in his prime, he was all about the achiever. You know, he loves sports and, you know, sought to be the professional athlete, but he blows out his knee, you know, or messes up his back. And so he's, he's sidelined from uh, the dreams and hopes, the stuff that he thought would give him meaning and worth and security in this life. But now he, he, he's failed. His body has failed him. So what does he do? Well, he's got a son now. So why not now live something of his own sense of significance through his son. His son is now going to be the achiever. He's going to be the one who who the dad vicariously lives through. So the son is the one who's going to bring meaning and worth and security to his life. And so my son now has to be the one who, who accomplishes and who becomes something great so that I can feel like I'm of some significance. When it comes down to it, what that dad is doing is he's placing God-sized expectations upon his son. A son is never supposed to meet the needs, the heart needs of a father. He is ne- he, he's not capable to satisfy the, a sense of worth and meaning in the life of his dad. Right? Those are God-sized expectations that that father is placing upon that child. Instead of... And instead of actually gaining anything from his child, he's actually pushing his child away. Because his child will inevitably recognize that he can't live up to these God-sized expectations that the dad has placed on him. You see the spiral effect? If one master doesn't work, well, I'm going to figure out another one. And I'm going to figure out another one. And I'm going to figure out another If power doesn't work, then I'm going to pursue love. If love doesn't work, I'm going to pursue comforts. And eventually, it leads to now, well, now I just got to escape because life is one big storm. There is no stability. So now, what do I choose? I choose the things that give me some sort of escape. Enter drugs and alcohol. I, I need some sort of peace from all the chaos of my heart. My meaning, my worth, my security has been put on its head. I have suffered storm after life after storm of life. This stuff hasn't lived up, hasn't actually produced what I so desperately wanted it to. And now what do I have left? But to escape. And in that sense, we hit rock bottom. If we don't become addicted to the power and put to the love and to the comfort, what we become addicted to is the escape. I need this thing to give me relief. Folks, when it comes down to it, um, this is the spiraling out effect that Jesus is speaking into. He's saying the things of life can never give the true stability that we're seeking for in this life. I think there's another point here that I'd like to just toss in there. Some people are born into the storm. They're born being told that they're never going to amount to anything. They're born into a context where love, security, and trust is absent. Right? Fear in these kind of contexts rules the day. 
Love is like some sort of strange kind of Disney World kind of idea. It's, it's out there. It's not experienced. Instability is, is the norm. Right? We live, so to speak, in the storm. These folks are born into situations also where their own sense of dignity at a young age is taken from them. They're robbed in a real sense of their childhood. They don't even get to think about these questions. They already know that they are nothing, that dignity has been taken from them, that security is a, it, 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 it's a Disney World idea. Folks, many are born into the storm. And I don't say that to encourage some sort of victim mentality out there. I'm saying this because it's important that we understand the dynamics at play in this world, in this culture of addiction that we live in. Maybe maybe people are going to have to live part of their lives seeking after these things to know that they don't add up. But some people are just born into the storm, recognizing immediately that none of this is going to truly satisfy. Meaning in life, worth in life, security in this life. Those are bygone ideas. When you're just trying to survive the storm. So again, what's what's the result? Well, I just want to escape. I just want to get away from this stuff. I, I know I'll never find meaning, worth, and security, so I'm just going to numb myself out of this existence. Yeah, give me the greatest high that I can get. You know, it might be killing people, but I, I don't care if that, that high is killing people. I want that high. I want the best high. Why? Because I want to escape this chaos. Again, we all stand responsible for our actions. So there's, I'm not encouraging a victim mentality, but I hope this at least helps us understand, gain something of a heart of compassion for those who are born into the storm. It makes sense to escape. Now, Jesus has proven the fact that the stuff of life cannot stand up. It can't give us what we need against the storms of life. So what does he propose? Look at the text just for a moment. Jesus will say that there is one who built his life on a rock, right? It's the idea of this guy digs down deep. He does intentional work to say, my life is going to be built upon this rock. And what happens? Well, the storms of life, they come, they're felt They shake the life, they shake the house, but in the end, the house stands. So the question is, okay, like, what's the rock? What what is it that can truly provide for me meaning and worth and security in this life? What truly can give me the stability that I need? Well, what do you think Jesus is doing? Jesus is putting himself forward as the rock. Jesus is saying that he is the one who alone can truly satisfy the needs of our hearts and who who can truly give us stability through the storms of life. Nothing else can hold up, but Jesus is saying, I can. 
And has Jesus proven that? Like, is he just tossing his name out there, you know, as something to just kind of blindly kind of step, step into? And, and no, Jesus has proven the fact that he is the one who can provide us stability through the storms of life. How has he proven that? Well, he actually stepped into our storms. You think about it. He's born in a manger to a, to a couple of teenagers, he doesn't come onto the scene riding you know, in might with chariots and armies. He comes being born to a couple teen. What do teenagers know? But this was God's plan. Jesus, the God-man, born of Virgin Mary, stepping into the mess, being born in a stall, being laid in a manger, growing up in Podunk, Nazareth, whatever good comes from Nazareth. It's all to say that Jesus didn't just put himself in some position of ease. He actually walked through the lowest of lows so that he would be someone that we could recognize can stand up under the storms and difficulties of life. As Jesus began his earthly ministry, what would he do? He would get away into the wilderness and he'd do battle with the enemy himself. He would overcome those temptations. He would walk then through his ministry uh, enduring great challenges of criticism and rebuke, especially uh, against the, the religious elite of the day. Eventually, you know, you, you would have uh, one of his own disciples betray him. And as, as Jesus would then be pulled into court, all of his disciples would scatter. He would endure loneliness he would endure false accusation. He would endure beating upon beating. And he would ultimately endure the cross. And why? <laughs> why would he do all of this? Not only to prove that he is one who can be a rock for us in this life, but he's one who ultimately went to that cross to deal with the issue of our sin, to pay the debt we could never pay, to actually satisfy the sense of guilt that we feel so deep down in our hearts for pursuing all these things and thinking that they can truly satisfy. Jesus says, I've come to set you free from that sin. I've, I, I've dealt with it at the cross. And... He not only died, but he was raised again. He came to endure the greatest storm of life, namely death itself, so that those who would trust in Jesus, who would plant their life firmly upon the rock, could know that there is stability in Christ, whether through life or through death. Bring on the greatest storm of life. For those in Christ, it is not death to die. Is there anything in this world... <laughs> that can triumph in that way, that can provide us stability through the greatest storm of life, namely death itself. Absolutely nothing. It's true, as, as Jesus walked his, his, his ministry, his disciples followed him, there was that point in time where there were so many people turning their backs on Jesus, and Jesus turns to his disciples and says, will you leave me also? And Peter says, Lord, where else do we have to go? Is there a true power out there that can really satisfy? No. Is there a true love? that No. Is there a true comfort in this world that can satisfy? No. 
Jesus, you alone have the words of life. Jesus, you alone can satisfy the deep needs of my heart and give me a stability that nothing in this world can afford, whether in life or in death. Jesus says, I want to be your foundation rock. He, he has already proven himself to be one who is adequate enough to help us, to sustain us through the storms of life. He is the one, whether it's life, whether it's death, who can carry us through. Folks, Jesus is saying, he's, he, he's, he's throwing open our, our hearts wide and saying, nothing in this world can satisfy. Nothing in this world can stand up under the storms of life. But Jesus says, I alone am the one that you should build your life upon. The question, once again, is that the case for you? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you experienced this enough, for crying out loud, right? The sand of life, it just never seems to be enough. It just holds me into this rat race of continually pursuing the next thing to satisfy my inner needs. Jesus says, have you had enough? <laughs> Jesus says that he's come to give life and to give it abundantly. It doesn't mean that storms won't come. It doesn't mean that challenges won't be faced. In fact, Jesus will say in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What has Jesus done? He's overcome the world. He's overcome, in a real sense, the very storms of life. And he just bids you come. Come and plant your life upon me, the one who alone, who can sustain you. Have you given yourself to Christ? You say, maybe, maybe it's like, yeah, I, I have. I, I, I've made that decision. Well, Jesus has just gone through a text where he's diagnosed your heart. He's laid your heart open and said, like, all right, do some, do some evaluation of your own heart. Are, are you really building? Are you really digging deep? Are you really living on the rock of Christ? Or has your gaze been turned to these other things, saying, like, I got Jesus, but now I need some of these other things? Folks, what truly is giving you meaning, worth, and security in this life? Do a diagnostic of your own heart. The Holy Spirit will help you kind of sift through some of those things to help you recognize if you're leaning upon these things rather than leaning upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And folks, let me just insert this. It doesn't mean that these things are necessarily bad things, immoral things. They may be very good things, but you're seeking to satisfy your heart in them when only Jesus can do that. So maybe for some of you, it's to recognize that you've been trying to satisfy your heart in these things rather than trying to enjoy them for Jesus' sake. Relationships, church community, those are good things. Some of you are seeking to actually have them satisfy your deepest heart need. They can't. They can't. The church will not satisfy your heart need. But the church can be such a means of grace when it's participated in for Jesus' sake. We get to the rock through the community of the church, for instance. So there's many things in this life that are good things. They're not bad things. But the question is, are you seeking to utilize these to satisfy your heart? Or are you putting them to use for Jesus' sake? Saying, I'm going to use these things in order to get my 
life dug deep into Christ? Is he your rock? Is he your master? One final point. Jesus has just closed out the Sermon on the Mount. And he has said some crazy things <laughs> uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount. For instance, love your enemies. Love your enemies. That, that's the ethic that he puts in front of his people. Love, th this is what it looks like to follow me. Love your enemies. Okay, Jesus, right. Or he says, stop judging others self-righteously. Stop pointing your finger at all the flaws of one another when you have like a two-by-four sticking out of your own eye. Jesus puts these high ethics before his people. Love your enemies. Don't judge self-righteously. Well, I don't know about you, but that's a very difficult call. It's difficult only if, only if, my heart is first satisfied in Jesus. If my heart is satisfied in Jesus, then I can truly love my enemies. I don't have to take something from them to gain status above them. No, if Jesus has been everything I need, now I can actually rightly love others. Now I don't have to be in self-righteous mode, being greater than everyone else. No, now I can actually love those who, yes, may have a speck in their eye, may have some troubles in their own life. If Jesus truly has satisfied my heart, then it enables me to do what I otherwise couldn't do, is rightly love others. So much of religiosity has been about self-righteousness, and condemning others, and seeing all the failures in the world. Jesus actually calls, calls the church to a whole different kind of mission. It's a mission of love. And the only way that the church can actually embrace its mission is if first and foremost, Jesus is the satisfaction of our hearts and lives. If it's all about religious duty that's making us seem of worth in this world, we will only stand in self-righteousness. We will only have to like, point out the flaws of everyone else so we can feel a little more elite, a little more better than the next person. That's not the way of Christ. Jesus says, build your life into me. Satisfy your heart in me. And let love for others be known. This is the freedom that Jesus gives to us. So, what is mastering your life. Do a diagnosis of your own heart, right? And, 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 and seek to understand, yes, Jesus alone can provide the meaning, the worth, and security we need. He calls us his children. He says, I, I, I've brought you into my family. You're a new creation. You're not what you used to be. You're no longer defined by the past. You're no longer defined by the wrong that you've done or the wrongs that have been done to you. You're now defined by all the right things that Christ has done on your behalf. You are a child of God. You are a new creation. Jesus satisfies our need for meaning. He satisfies our need for worth. He gives us a perfect acceptance with the Father. Even in your failures, you can never undo the worth that the 
Father has said, you're my child, you're my love, you're everything for me. Jesus is the one who provides us perfect worth before the Father. We don't stand in our flaws, we stand in the righteousness of Christ. And of course, then, in Christ, we have perfect security. Why? Jesus has gone to death itself and undone it for us. This is who he is for us. He perfectly satisfies the needs of our hearts. He gives us the meaning that this world could never give us. He gives us the worth that this world could never give us. He gives us the security that this world could never give us. Will you build your life upon Christ? He's bidding you to come and say, find some rest with me. Find love with me. Find security and significance with me. Will you build your life upon him? Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you have not left us alone. You have not left us alone in our sin. You have not left us alone in all our heart troubles. God, thank you that you want to meet the needs of our hearts and lives. Thank you, Jesus, that you want to do that such that you would give of yourself for us. That you would give of yourself for us. Jesus, thank you that you're not just some therapist pointing us to other things. trying to teach us to rearrange life to just have a better life now. Thank you, Jesus, that you say, if you want life, come to me. If you want meaning in this life, come to me. If you want true worth, unshakable worth, unshakable significance, come to me. If you want true security, come to me. Jesus, thank you that you're so good to call us to yourself, to come after us in your love, and to declare there's a better way. There's a better life, and life abundantly. So Jesus, we look to you. God, we pray that you would be the master of our hearts, and that we would dig down deep we would dig down deep at every turn of life, that we would dig down deep to say, my life must be firmly planted in Jesus. Jesus, we thank you. We ask that you would bless folks wherever they're at. In Jesus' name, amen.
Um, as we kind of close things down uh, this morning, what we're going to do is just have a little bit of ministry time, which is kind of weird since you're there and we're here. Um, but nonetheless, it, it's not a limitation to what the Spirit intends to do. Um, and so as we've just had a few little burdens here and there um, in preparation for this time, during this time, that we just want to press into as we close uh, things out this morning. So, Allie, you want to just pray into that and explain it a little bit, too? So, when we were singing the song, um, your burden carried is the only thing that came to mind, because I feel like in this season, uh, when we're alone and when we're in a quiet place, it's very easy to see what burdens you're carrying and to feel them even more intensely, because you don't have the security of those love relationships or the comfort of maybe even a job and the financial given or the the power those things have been stripped away but there's still burdens carried and i think there's like a place where we think that we have to continue carrying them and it's it's like a he will take moment and and i really want to pray into that jesus we thank you that you are the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and the King of kings. That there are burdens that your sons and daughters were not meant to carry. You weep with us, you hold us. You walk us through the valleys of the shadow of death. And you say there's no reason to fear any evil, for I am with you. There's nothing that we can carry, nothing that we can encounter that you have not already bore for us, that you have not already walked us through. So God, we want to claim the victory, that the burdens aren't ours, that we don't have to have the sandbags on our shoulders, keeping us from breathing right, keeping us anxious and keeping us depressed and oppressed. The things that keep us awake at night incapable of getting a good night's rest. Those things are not from you, but they are for us to give to you. So thank you for the opportunity to lay our burdens in front of you today. That we wouldn't pretend there aren't burdens, but that you would unveil our eyes to see the things that we carry by ourselves unnecessarily, that weigh on our hearts, that weigh on our relationships with you. Jesus, and I ask that you would come you would break down the walls and the barriers that keep us, whatever the ties are that make us believe that those burdens are part of who we are. 
those burdens are part of what makes us who we are, that you would just, without a shadow of a doubt, Lord, break through the ties and the roots that connect to those things that make us believe that our worth is found in our grievances. Our identity and our worth is only found in you. And I pray that we would give back to you the burdens that we've been holding from you. The things that we've found identity and purpose in for too long. And if anything, quarantine can teach us. When you are alone, you're never alone. But it's what you choose to surround yourself with. And we no longer, myself included, don't want to be surrounded by my burdens, by my what-ifs, and by my losses, because that is not who you say that I am. And that is not the goodness of the Lord for us. So we receive the goodness of the Lord this morning over our burdens, our anxieties, our stress, our depression, our oppression financial, physical, and emotional, and spiritual, the burdens that we carry and claim as our identity, we rebuke them, and we say, I am a son and daughter of the living God, and he cares for me, and there is not one need that I could ask of that he would in turn give me a stone. He will give me all of my needs. He will prepare a way for me. He will take my burdens to the cross and he will bring me back the peace of his presence. So we thank you, Jesus, for who you are, and we claim the promises of what you have already done on our behalf. We can truly live burden-free, and I believe that, and I receive that this morning, Jesus. I pray the same for others in your name. Amen. Um, also just sense that some of you may have listened into this and you're like, man, I've been through storm after storm after storm. Um, and that in some way has left you broken. It's left you um, filled with shame. Uh, we're going to be touching on that in a few weeks on the issue of shame as it relates to addiction. Uh, but I, I believe that the Lord would want to remind you um, that he, even when he calls us to change, even when he calls us to plant our lives into the rock, um, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Our brokenness, our backwardness, is, is not uh, something that he doesn't already recognize. That he, meet, he meets us in the brokenness he meets us when our life is all backward. He doesn't say, clean yourself up. Make yourself less shameful. No, what he says is, bring all your wounds, bring all your brokenness, bring all your shame to me. Let his kindness lead you to repentance. I just believe that some would think, man, this idea of repentance, this, this turning to Jesus... Like he's frowning at you. He is not frowning at you. That, that's a lie of the enemy. Jesus comes with tenderness. He comes with carefulness. He's not just bursting into our lives when our lives have been so unsettled so many times. No, it's Jesus who is careful with us, calm with us, gentle with us, but with a love, with a kindness that will not end. 
let his kindness lead you to repentance. Let him tend to your shame. Let him tend to your brokenness. As, as James said earlier, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means like, I got nowhere else to look to but to Jesus, right? It's poverty of soul. I got nothing else to lean on. I only got my wounds. I only got my shame. Jesus says, come on, <laughs> come to me and let me be for you the stability that you've always looked for. I would encourage you, turn to him today. Now, there's a few other things that I just wanted to briefly touch on. Um, and that is a few words of knowledge. Again, words of knowledge are in the same wheelhouse as prophecy. We don't hold this to the authority of scripture, but we believe that the spirit gives us impressions so we can rightly tend to others in what God uh, would see happen. So uh, a few words of knowledge as it relates to just body pain. Uh, one is um, the knee. The knee's been really sore for someone out there. Uh, kind of the top of uh, the knee and down, then down into the knee. Even to rub it is just kind of a, is, is sore. Uh, all to say, Jesus knows your pain and he cares even about your knee pain. Like he's, he's just that good. And if he would bring it to mind uh, through someone else, right? He probably is interested in maybe even bringing healing. Uh, to your knee this morning. So, uh, and then also just felt like the Lord was also saying that someone having like stabbing pains in the, in the kidney. Um, so uh, we also just want to pray into that as we look to close things out uh, this morning. So let's just pray together. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would, you would take the pain from the knee. So we just declare in Jesus' name, pain you must go. You must go in Jesus' name. If there's swelling to that knee, God, we, we ask that you would take the swelling away. We ask that you would grant mo mobility. God, I pray that the mobility that you give back would actually be uh, then something in which that individual can be about service for you, whether it's at work or uh, whether it's in the home. Uh, God, we, we pray that through that mobility, service can be rendered to others, that something of Jesus then could be put on display. So, we, we just pray for healing, for all pain to go, for the restoration of that knee. And God, we also pray for uh, the stabbing pain in the kidney. God, we pray that you would release that pain. We also pray that you would bring healing. Um, if that's kidney stones, God, I pray that you would just obliterate those kidney stones. It is nothing out of your power to, in just your simple touch, bring perfect healing to that kidney. So Jesus, we pray for your healing touch right now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that you do these kind of things. <laughs> um, thank you that even over the last few months where we've had these words of knowledge that we've heard back from people, um, that there have been has been relief that's been felt. And so God, thank you for the consistent healing work that you do. Thank you for backs that have been healed. Thank you for headaches that you've taken away. So we trust that you know our every pain. As the rock in our lives, you're, you're just that informed. <laughs> you're just that meticulously aware. 
of our every struggle and your desire then to step in and to help us. So Jesus, we pray that pain would go, bring healing. And God, I pray that there would even be testimony that we would hear from folks who say, yep, I got the knee or I got the, the kidney, but it's the pain's gone because you stepped in and accomplished something good for your sons and daughters. So Jesus, we honor you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By way of closing, benediction, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to you. And may he bless you and make his face to shine upon you that his way may be known on the earth. His saving power among all nations. Grace and peace to you guys. Catch you on Wednesday night.
I'm lost without.